going to start recording now. Uh, yeah, it's a cold open. We stole it from Pete Holmes. We stole it from Mark Marin. We stole it from Dr. Katz. We stole it from, I think, Bob Newhart. We stole it from somebody else. And it stops you from having to actually introduce the podcast. And uh, with no with no music and no live audience, you know. Well, yeah. But I was going to tell you about my trip to Disneyland before we started, which I'll probably cut out of the podcast, but to me it's funny. Uh, so it was my first time at Disneyland. I took my children. Uh, they had a good time, which was nice. Uh, it's a long security line at Disneyland, and uh, I don't uh, think about terrorism that much. But uh, I'm in the security line. I'm thinking about terrorism. I'm thinking, like, if I, given the life that I've tried to lead, uh, died in a terrorist attack at Disneyland, that, I think, would be a very embarrassing way for me to die. Uh, kind of like a capping failure of some some sort. Yes. Uh, yeah, in the sense that, you know, like, I would die, people would miss me. Let's say my family's okay, so this isn't too morbid. And people are like, yeah, that's Pat Maloney. You know, he died in that terrorist attack at Disneyland. He sure loved Disneyland. You know, if there's one thing, like, at least he died in a place that he loved, Disneyland. And, uh... There's nothing more than he wanted to do to America's public spaces than make them all look exactly like Disneyland. Yes. Uh, I would say in terms of embarrassing, somewhere between uh, less embarrassing than autoerotic asphyxiation, probably more embarrassing than... Uh, drafting Nick Beasler. Drafting Nick Beasler. I was going to say dying in the arms of my mistress, but uh, less embarrassing than... Uh, more embarrassing than drafting Nick Beasler. Anyway, uh, so this is more Sonic... A Timbers podcast. Uh, I'm Pat. I'm Pete. Uh, we're not going to use last names in this podcast for a while because uh, I got to work in this town, and uh, we should explain why we're here. I'll go first. Uh, I've been interested in podcasting for a while, uh, and I was sort of searching for something to do a podcast about, and then I realized that my good friend Pete, who I've known for twenty years, uh, does. I don't know, about five hours a week of research on the Timbers and uh, then shares that research only with me. Uh, and so I thought it'd be a good idea for us to sit down once a week and uh, we could talk about the Timbers. And you could teach me things about soccer uh, and I could uh, tell you about my feelings. Uh, and so this is the first time we're doing this. Uh, it's going to be a little bit of a weird podcast because normally you have a lot of data and new things to talk about and so we are kicking off this podcast that is about you sharing information it's like not a lot of information to share uh we do not have a lot of information to share it's early february the timbers are in uh arizona and the uh preseason game that they played wasn't even uh streamed on the internet so i was going to apologize go. for not watching it but uh good to know that you know that. <laughs> so that uh, i believe sort of captures our dynamic and since uh, Pat primarily did the introduction for me, I think I'll return the favor and say that, uh, you know, in addition to trying to think about, you know, what's going on with our beloved Timbers, Pat brings both the, will be bringing both the humor uh, and the uh, emotional fan view. And I think you'll uh, pick up on things about Pat, such as his deep, deep love of the prospect. Uh, oh, I love prospects. I'm still waiting for Valencia to work out. I'm sure that it's going to happen. It's going to come around. It's going to come true. Yeah. Uh, but um, 
uh, as well as, you know, just the view from the stands. So there we go. Where do you want to start? Uh, the whiteboard is behind me, so you're going to have to run this. Um, given again that it's February, I think there's just one, you know, we can't talk about the MLS Cup because so, it's six weeks old or eight weeks old or wherever we are at this point. But I think, you know, as, as we start off, it's important to say the Timbers won MLS Cup 2015. Yes. And yes. it was awesome. Everything yes. from the watching party chili uh, to the live in-game experience was fantastic. And in a lot of ways, it was all of the conversations we had last summer of, I feel like these are good players. Shouldn't these be good players? Shouldn't we be doing better? Um, you know, come true in a magical nine-game run. Yes. I am willing to admit that it's nice that the Timbers won the title. And I think I'm going to leave it at that rather than being a wet blanket with my feelings, which will come out later. Uh, but that being said, another reason to podcast is as a uh, Red Sox fan, born and bred Red Sox fan, uh, you know, 2000, 2007 was awesome, but you still love your team and there's a new season coming and there are always new things to analyze, think about, and of course, complain about. Yes. Yes. All right, I'm going to complain about this. I was I was going to hold off on this, but uh, you know, so so I grew up in Portland. I've uh, been a Timbers fan uh, for 38 years. I have a possibly apocryphal memory that Timbers used to come to our photo days for youth soccer, uh, and I have wanted the Blazers and the Timbers to win a championship with all of my heart for all of those 38 years. And it finally happened. And I was very happy for about 30 seconds. And then I realized, I don't know these people. I, I didn't do anything. I... So, so there's another podcast, Men and Blazers, and uh, Raj uh, Bennett from that podcast likes to say that the purpose of sport is to feel feelings that you should be able to feel in the rest of your life, but have lost the ability to do so. And I've been thinking about that a lot lately because I feel like for all of the years that the Timbers and the Blazers have lost, I took like a little fake useful feeling from that to understand sorrow and loss and tragedy in a venue where it didn't really matter. And uh, that was very helpful to me as a person. Fake sorrow is a very useful emotion to grow and develop as a human being. And then finally the Timbers won and I got my, my taste of fake joy and I realized like, I don't know these people. They're just talented children that we imported from other countries. And I don't know, it's, uh, it was an interesting off season. Now you have the irony of why Pat dying in the security line at Disneyland, the happiest place on earth. Wouldn't make any sense. I might not be that happy. All right, let's go into uh, what do we want to talk about today going forward. Let's hit a few, let's hit a few additions, okay? So moving on from MLS Cup 2016, we know who's out, we know who's in, and uh, I'm going to start a little bit on my Ned Grabboy Grabboy riff. Hit me! I barely know who Ned Grabboy. <laughs> so Ned Grabboy, formerly RSL, formerly NYCFC. Uh, 32-year-old midfielder 
has played between the left and the diamond centrally, has been brought in, and Porter, as I understand it, has proclaimed that he is Nagby's backup. Okay. On, on the understanding that Valeri and or Nagby will not be available for certain times in our packed 2016 calendar. We're going to play a lot of games this season, right? We're going to play a lot of games this season. Okay. Okay, sounds good. But here's my problem. Hit me. Nagby is MLS's best backup number 10. Valeri, still in the pecking order, sees things Nagby doesn't see, still can shoot with his left foot, still can do things that Nagby can't do. But we saw in numerous, whatever, probably 10, 12 starts that Nagby got in the number 10 position last year, Nagby, very solidly, I will argue, is MLS best backup number 10. Okay. Who is Nagby's best backup in this roster? Hit me. In my opinion, we after having switched from the double pivot to the single pivot, putting Tehran in the single pivot, but also relying on Jack Jewsbury for some critical playoff games playing in the single pivot against Vancouver, Nagby's best backup is Tehran. Okay. Not Grabovoy. Okay. But Caleb Porter seems insistent that Grabovoy is going to play in the center and that... Uh, uh, the best thing is to stick with the four-three-three single pivot, even when Valeri or Nagby are not available. Okay. So we just spent a lot of money on a 32-year-old player who's not going to play very much. Who either is not going to play very much, or is going to be a situation where we're trying to force the system onto the players rather than the players onto the system. If there is anything late last year that sparked the run, starting in RSL, it seemed to be a little bit of desperation. When we were out of the playoff race, we had two road games. We were not necessarily looking like we were going to make the playoffs. What happens? We put our best players more or less in their best positions, and we take off. Grabovoy looks like a round peg in a square hole <laughs> to I, me. I thought we already got over this with Porter, in which he had a system that we were going to force people into, and we are now in the new age of very practical Porter, who was going to just take the things as they came to him and adapt we will see. Okay. But Ned Grabovoy, 2016 season, useful player, good player, not a player on the anywhere near the caliber of Larry or uh, Nagby. Very arguably not even not even the caliber of Gaston Fernandez, who I know is one of your favorites. That hurts. <laughs> okay. Uh, Jack McInerney. Oh, I'm excited to talk about Jack McInerney. Jack McInerney, you will will see the switch from rhyme to reason here. On the reason reason side, I think Jack McInerney, excellent pickup. We're we're sorry to see Rudy go, besides the key moments he delivered. Always always a striker who I felt came, while I'm not necessarily the Rudy over Adi lover, it's good to have two starting quality or near starting quality strikers uh, on your team. Okay. Jack McInerney is a near starting quality striker, just given his production. The question is, what else is Jack McInerney? Oh, I know what else Jack McInerney is. Jack McInerney is an asshole. (laughs) I'm very interested in this because I don't feel like, with the exception of possibly Gaston Fernandez, we have yet had a Timbers player that I am supposed to root for that I am almost positive I would not enjoy meeting as a human being. The closest we have had is Will Johnson, who is the sort of person who is aggressive on the field, but seems by all indications to be like a good teammate, somebody people respect and like, 
I may not like him when he's playing for Toronto now, but like in general, like good dude. Jack McInerney, how many teams has he played for now? Are we his third this, team? We will or be his fourth, fourth team. We yeah. are his fourth. Everywhere he has gone, he has uh, played well, scored goals, and then been asked to leave. Uh, and at least in the brief uh, uh, occurrences of him playing against the Timbers, which is the only times that I have seen him play, he plays with a certain uh, energy. Uh, Everybody, nobody on nobody who might listen to this podcast, all three of you, can tell me that you didn't enjoy when Donovan Ricketts leveled a Jack McInerney who was running too close to him trying to be a tough guy. Yeah. So this will be an interesting challenge for me. I. I, I, I try to form an emotional connection with all players and feel like I'm rooting for them as people, as, as, as well as as Timbers. And uh, this will be my first experience that I believe football fans are used to of hoping that a person who doesn't seem like a very nice person does things for your team. So I'm looking forward to it. Potential locker room cancer? Uh, I suppose. I mean... It, it's it's obviously a challenge in soccer when you have you know eleven guys working to get shots, not all shots, but many of which are taken by one or two guys. Yeah, right. And while the vital importance of finishing as a striker for a team, as we saw in 2015 and at times in 2014, an inability to finish while taking a lot of shots is not going to make you go home very happy very often. Yeah, I thought you had an interesting idea. Might not actually be legal under the rules of MLS, but what's your locker room idea? Well, you know, there's just the concept of whether or not strikers should have a different locker room. I mean, especially the backup striker. Here you have a guy who spent his entire life being the focal point of his team, scoring goals, getting accolades. You're asking him to sit on the bench. You're asking him to cheer for his teammates. And then you want him to go on the field with a kind of psychopathic, I need to score a goal nature. Yeah. Maybe that maybe we could capture all of that in a better environment during the game. I'm kind of an imagining, you know, small, separate locker room. Yeah. Constant, constant replays of goals they've scored in the past. Pictures of himself it's all over the walls. Extensive, che- extensive cheering and, and an exercise bike. And I'm just saying, eh, maybe let him sit on the bench for the first half. But 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 you know, that 30 minutes before we need them to come on and make a difference and score that goal, you got you cannot tell me this would not have helped Gaston Fernandez. Yeah, yeah. I guess I'm coming to terms with the fact that goal scorers don't have to be nice people. And in fact, in many cases, it might be better if they're not. So we're just kind of imagining Jack McInerney on his spin bike. Yeah. Watching himself score goals. Coming out in a lather. Straight onto the field. Forget the fourth official. Strikers don't have to report the fourth official anymore. Adi comes to the side. Jack McInerney on. Okay. In all seriousness. Yeah. Uh, I like the Jack McInerney move. There were time. There have been times in the past when the backup striker for the Timbers, from Picayune to Arudi, <clears throat> were different enough from the starting striker that it seemed like we would change systems. Picayune would go on. Suddenly, we'd say, "Hey, we got a guy who's great in the air." Suddenly, we start launching long balls from forty from forty yards away just because our striker changed. Yep. Arudi, a little bit the same. We're, we've been booting long, you know, booting long balls, winning second balls that Adi has been helping us control, and you know, maturation of Adi has made that actually a workable strategy. Arudi comes on, and suddenly we're still kicking the same balls up the center of the field while Arudi is trying to fight off Kendall Waston. Yep, not really the best thing. While McInerney, his back to the goal game, I don't think is anywhere near as developed as Adi's. He's got the physical tools. 
it should be less more of a like the like switch in where they like the ball, how they can play within the team concept. Mm -hmm. So it could actually, I think this could, well, far from saying that this is an upgrade from a Rudy, I think in terms of bumps in the road, uh, you know, I think we put the pieces in place uh, to make this look good. Cool. All right. Who else do you want to talk about? Caleb Porter. Uh, I got one more player I want to talk okay, about. Okay, one more which player. Which is, it's actually topical because he just left. Yeah. I want to talk a little bit about Fashive leaving. Uh, I was excited about Fashive. I was excited because we got somebody in the draft who relatively quickly got some starting minutes, and I was looking forward to watching him develop in the same way that we saw Powell develop, in the same way that, to some extent, we saw Viafania develop. Um so I'm a little bummed about this. Except for the fact that Diego Char is a cyborg who may play until he's 45. And that is what makes me happy about this. <laughs> I like the idea that uh, I, I have a hard time letting go of the fact that these are human beings. And one of the things that's very frustrating to me about soccer is the situation of somebody like Arudi, who is a good player, who could play a lot of places, and then comes into a situation, plays relatively well, doesn't really get to play and is too good to play on T2 but not quite good enough to play so you have a guy who could play a lot of other places and instead he's spending the heart of his career not actually competing and getting better possibly made worse by the unwritten porter rule that if you're ahead or tied you can't make a sub until after the 80th minute that is a complaint that we will break out when it happens again and again and again uh i like the fact that it sounds like Fushive's agent drummed up some interest from a club where he was going to play. He went to the team and said, I would like to go play for this club. And the team, the transfer money doesn't sound huge. To a certain extent, and I will complain about this front office so much over the course of this podcast, it sounds like they took some money and let a guy go to a situation where he could play. And I'm going to say so many mean things about Gavin Wilkinson over the course of the next 50 podcasts. Seemed like a classy move to me. I think a classy move, but also made a lot easier by the move to the to the 4-3-3. I mean, the reality is we have been stocking ourselves up for the last, ever since Caleb Porter arrived, so that we would have two defensive mids who had a variety, you know, a wide-ranging skill set on the field at the same time. If we really are going to have one of those people in our backup you know, our backup formation is not going to be to substitute Chara for Nagby and put Zemanski in uh, as a second holding mid. Uh, then we are overstocked. We got rid of Will Johnson. Did it really hurt us? Well, no, he wasn't playing in the run. We got rid, you know, we got rid of Fichive or hopefully helped him uh, self-actualize as a soccer player. And I like uh, thinking of it that way. And uh, we still have Zemanski and Jewsbury in that situation. We still go three deep at that situation. Yeah. You tell me what happens when two wingers get injured. Nothing good. <laughs> we have so, a mystery winger uh, coming in. Right. Uh, Merritt Paulson has tweeted about big moves coming, and things always happen when Merritt Paulson tweets that big things are going to happen. Merritt Paulson is awesome. I mean, if, if you if you want, I the, respectfully disagree. <laughs> I mean, in terms of the news cycle, because you know, why do you really need a reporter on it on it for a team where the owner is going to tweet and pre-tweet everything that might happen? Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, not to disrespect the reporters, by the way, most of our information comes from the hardworking beat reporters of the Oregonian and the hardworking folks of Stumptown Footy. Yes. So. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, so I think I, I will also be sad to see Fushive go uh, if Chara somehow proves himself mortal in the next couple of years. I think that maybe will be something that we regret. But drafted as a second rounder, developed, which again, for all the things we might say poorly about Porter, there's very little We're about doubt. To. There's very little doubt that he's been able to develop some players through his system and make them better soccer players. Uh, it's sad. It's sad to see him go. We may regret it, but we're very deep at that position, and uh, it makes some sense. Well, and I love a classy move that ends up to go wrong. So I'm 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 on the record. I thought this was a good move. I won't complain about it when uh, Chara goes down. Uh, and we have no one to play the pivot. You're not allowed to say Chiraz going down. Okay. Ever. <laughs> uh, let's talk about Porter a little bit. This is this is the this is the part of the segment under what the, what a difference the dot 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 makes. Yes. Um, Caleb Porter. We stunk in 2012. Let's just be let's just be perfectly honest. Prior to prior to Porter showing up, we stunk. Yes. Uh, and. Uh, there's nothing better than two Western Conference final trips and MLS Cup and, you know, a generally uh, a team that now I think expects to win. When Porter talks about establishing club culture, there's a reason to believe that we may be on an arc uh, where that actually means something. Absolutely. Uh, rather than a consult being a consultancy buzzword. Yes. Um, that being said, you know. There are things going on late last year. I still, I still think the move of Nagby centrally, something that was extensively discussed in, on Stumptown Footy, was discussed in other places that you and I discussed, it kind of reeked of a move of desperation. Yes. Turned out brilliant, but started as looking awful lot like a move of desperation. He didn't have a lot of other things that he could do. It didn't feel like he had four different options and he did his research and decided to make that move. Basically, there was nothing else that he could do given injuries and he chose to do the thing that he had to do and it went awesome. Which is great. And we're all still celebrating that. Absolutely. <laughs> um so and then what a difference an inch makes. Obviously, uh, there the, you know you and I have talked about why this podcast is not called the Double Post. We have. I, it, <laughs> it, it came up, and there's you know there's a well we had a long list of things. <laughs> maybe that was the best name. Whether it was the best name or not, one inch we're out first playoff game playing game against SKC. We're out of the playoffs. Yes. No, to a certain extent, that's just sport. That's just soccer, right? Like. Whether, whether it be, you know, football, hockey, whatever. I mean, these are very small margins of victory among professional athletes uh, on a field with certain dimensions. Yes. Right? Um, that being said, I think, the, I think we both agree that the, uh, the cooking up of the Porter legacy with, with a single, um, uh, you know, with a single uh, MLS Cup victory may be a little strong. Can anyone name for me the coach from the MLS Cup winning Colorado Rapids of, I'm not even sure of the year, I think it was 2011. 
It won't be surprising that I can't tell you who that yeah. coach was. I believe it was Jamie Smith, but we yeah. may have to edit this. I believe the current coach of the Rapids is Mustache Mastrioni. Guy. Mastrioni. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I know he, and I know he shaved the mustache off because somebody was very upset about the, that. The bad luck on the mustache was pretty high for Mastrioni, I've got to say. I uh, don't want to flatter ourselves to think that uh, Caleb Porter is going to live uh, listen to this very awkward podcast. However... I want to be fair to him like he is actually listening. If you had, if we had been doing a podcast in the middle of last season, the podcast could have been entitled, Caleb Porter doesn't know what he's doing, or Caleb Porter's a big dummy, or something with swear words in it. I think now, even I have to admit, he's good at some stuff, right? Definitely. However, I have two thoughts. The first is, it's very interesting that a couple of things happened, a couple of things broke our way. We had a good team that lost more than it should have, that then flipped and won a bunch of games in a row. And Caleb Porter went from being uh, somebody who wasn't very good at coaching soccer to suddenly being uh, a tactical genius, the greatest coach in the history of MLS, uh, which is laying a narrative on top of random events. And humans love this. They love to do humans that. love this. I've been reading a lot of self-help books lately been thinking about narrative and narrative is something that our frightened monkey brains lay down on top of the randomness of human experience so that we have a story to tell ourselves that makes sense, right? First, we re- we lose some games that we could have won and the narrative is, Porter never does anything right. And that was wrong, right? But it's a story we tell ourselves so that we can understand, we can retell our monkey brains something so that we're not so scared of the dark. And now we won a few games in a row, and suddenly we are telling ourselves an equally ludicrous story about his genius. Narrative is worthless. Here's what I think. I think he still is not a particularly good tactical coach. You are fond of telling me that he either never has or almost never uh, changes a lineup after a win, regardless of what the situation is going into the next game. Caleb Porter will very rarely change a winning lineup. He does not strike me as the world's greatest man manager. Uh, I would say maybe he's got a little Jack McInerney in him. Uh, But again, uh, now he's a great leader of men because they won five games in a row, six games in a row, whatever it was. I think that we have enough data now that we can start to say it's pretty good at developing play. Somebody in this organization is pretty good at developing players, right? I, I think there's very little doubt about that. I don't think there are too many teams over the course of the last two seasons who have taken people who no transfer fee would have been paid for, uh, and and or develop them into getting first team quality first team minutes uh, than the Timbers. They yep. would have to be right up there. So we got Pro- Dallas probably goes beyond anyone on this front, but the Timbers are you know right in that conversation. Powell, Viafania, Foshive, Nagby to a certain extent, although it's been a Adi, Adi, Adi very much so, and so we should give him. Espria, Taylor Pay. I mean, the, the, you know, the, the, we have had we had some 
I would say fully formed objects that appeared on the Timbers team. That would be, you know, a Valeri, a Will Johnson. I don't know that we added to their development, a Jewsberry. These are, these are guys who were solid professionals with a skill set that came in and did what they were supposed to do. Yes. And then there are a whole bunch of guys who can do things that they couldn't do two years ago. Yes. So my hope for him as a coach is that he gets better tactically, he continues developing players, and that he loses his, and here's a reference nobody other than you and some NBA fans will get, his Doc Rivers-esque uh, love affair with players who either played for him at Akron uh, five years ago or players who beat him for at other schools when they were at Akron. We feel like sometimes we are... Uh, uh, picking a 2012 NCAA All-Star team in a way makes me a little nervous. Fair enough. Okay. Any other thoughts on Porter? No, I mean, we'll keep talking about Caleb Porter. I mean, from the outside, as a fan, as a non-soccer you know, non expert, meaning not being a professional who's living that life every day, I do think, I do think there are things that Porter must do well for his team to per- perform well. Uh, that being said, th- there is a lot of talent on that on last year's team. And, you know, there, there were certain circumstances about the 2014 team uh, in terms of injuries and so forth. But it felt like a long string of underperformance. And it seemed like there were very few things coming from Porter to try to break up, uh, shake up or move or move things around uh, uh, tactically. And, you know, uh, listen, here's the good news. Um, I think soccer coaches in general, not particularly brilliant, uh, you know, in terms of tactics. Games are won by players, ge- generally speaking. You can mess some things up from the sidelines if you sure. have good players. You're in, a, you're in good shape. I also happen to think that, that Caleb Porter is definitely, when you take the full package, at least probably a top half and maybe knocking on the top third of MLS coaches. So if, you know, if soccer coaches in general, uh, you, you wonder about them, I think MLS coaches probably another half. That being said, uh, you know, we'll talk about it as 2016. And this is, this is most likely Caleb Porter's high point of the year. I think this is probably the nicest we will be to him uh, for the entire season. Let's, let's end it on a positive note yep. with Caleb. Uh, what else do we want to talk about? Are we going to talk about U.S. Men's National Team on this uh, podcast? Well, is, is it sort of like the anti-conversation where we talk about how much you hate the U.S. Men's National Team? I <laughs> love telling people how much I don't want to talk about the U.S. Men's National Team. And I hope in the future that we will spend some portion of this podcast with me telling you how much I don't want to talk about the U.S. Men's National Team. Uh Unfortunately, the U.S. men's national team has apparently been exposed to the fact that Nagby does not like to try to score goals with his left foot. What happened um, in that game? I didn't even watch that game. <laughs> we beat Iceland. B. Oh, we beat Iceland? <laughs> it might have been the B-minus Iceland group. I mean, how many people are there in Iceland? 600,000? Something like that, yeah. Yeah, okay. So we, we, we were uh, our nation of well, 340 million Okay. plus the whatever, you know, 25 million uh, people who have an American father or mother who live abroad. Right. Uh, managed to, in a friendly game, yep. beat the Iceland B-minus team by, uh, on, a, on a header by D.C. United uh, central defender, maybe central defender, Steve Burbaum, 
who wasn't really even a definite starter for DC United throughout almost all of 2015. Awesome. I'm so bored, my teeth hurt. <laughs> cool. Uh, anything else we want to talk about before we go? Uh, cool. Well, this is fun. Yeah. It's slightly awkward. Yep. Probably. Uh, probably. We'll, we'll work on some. 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 You know. Production. I think value. We will get better at this. Yeah. And uh, but I'm glad that we have the first one in the can. And uh, I'll put some like super cool out music on this at some point, and then we'll just fade away, and we'll come back next week sounds good all right bye bye